Hey there. Thanks for joining us at Risen King Church for our weekly podcast. We hope you experience God today. Make sure you visit us at risenking.life to take all your next steps and follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. Enjoy the message. Good morning, everyone. We're on week three of our flow series, our, our fall series. I want you to begin thinking with me this morning about uh, a city in Syria called Damascus, almost 2,000 years ago. There are followers of Jesus in the city of Damascus because when Pentecost came, the Holy Spirit reached people in different languages, different uh, sections of the world, and they went back as followers of Jesus. So Damascus is now the target of a rabbi by the name of Saul, who is a Pharisee. He gets authorization, gets letters to go and to persecute or to stop in any way possible these followers of Jesus. But on the road to Damascus, the Saul that left Jerusalem is changed forever. He meets Jesus. Jesus so overwhelms him, speaks to him that he's left blind and he's left praying. And he gets to Damascus. And when he gets to Damascus, God speaks to a man by the name of Ananias, who is one of the followers of Jesus in the city. Ananias hears God speak to him, and he immediately responds and says, Here I am, Lord. And then God gives him an assignment, and the assignment is, go to this street, the street called Straight, go to the house of Judas, and there you will find Saul. And then all of a sudden Ananias' ears perk up. He goes, that sounds dangerous. We know this guy. He's coming to kill us. He's coming to hurt us. And God says, I want you to go, and I want you to realize he is a chosen instrument of mine. He will speak to the Gentiles. He will speak to kings, and he will speak to the children of Israel. You go, and you lay hands on him, and he will receive his sight. So even though Ananias is reluctant, even though this is a dangerous assignment, he goes, and exactly as God told him, everything works out exactly that way. He lays hands on Saul. His eyes are opened. Saul has been actually praying the whole time. He heard God speak and say, Ananias is coming, and he will lay hands on you. Then Saul is baptized, and Saul is set apart for the ministry to become an apostle to the Gentiles. He wrote 13 of the books of the New Testament. You are really here today because Ananias fulfilled his assignment. I want you to understand something, that there's a big picture thing we've been talking about for two weeks. It's it's the fact that the Holy Spirit has united his person, all that he is, all that he has, and he's committed himself completely and totally to the mission of Jesus. When you unite yourself to the mission of Jesus, you are actually beginning to enter into your true calling as a follower of Jesus Christ. This is the big picture. This is the big concept. Calling, though, is different from assignment. The calling of God on your life is for your future. It's who you will be, not just who you are today. The calling of God is eternal. It is who He has called you and destined you to be since before even the foundation of the world. The calling of God is actually bigger than the person you are today. But the assignments, 
The assignments are the key to the calling. You never get to experience the fullness of your call. You never get to experience the fullness of God in you until you begin to say yes to the assignments that God is tasking you with. The assignments are often temporary. The assignments are sometimes below you or beneath you. The assignments can be risky. The assignments can be dangerous. But you will never know the fullness of God in you until you say yes to what God is asking you. The assignments are the key to your entire fulfillment of your potential. You can't just say to God, I unite my life to your mission and say no to God when he says, here's what I want you to do. Jesus kind of explained this in an interesting way. He tells a parable in Matthew uh, 25. There were two sons of a father, and both sons were asked, will you work in the vineyard for me tomorrow? And the first son says, no way, Dad, I'm not going. The second son goes, oh yes, I'll be there, crack of dawn, I'll work all day, I'll do all this. The second son said yes, but didn't show up. The first son was reluctant, but came and worked all day. And Jesus, it said, is asking religious people, which one was the obedient son? Which one was the faithful son? And even the Pharisees had to say the first son who said no, but actually did it. He said, well, you're like the second sons. You say yes, but you do not do it. A friend of mine was telling this parable in a region of the world where people just say yes to be polite. They actually said, I think, I think the Bible's wrong there. The, the good son was the one who said exactly what the father wanted him to say. You must understand something. The kingdom culture is bigger than any of our cultures. It transcends all of our cultures. Jesus is trying to establish a kingdom culture where you and I begin to realize our yes to God has to be followed by obedience to God. That just saying yes is not what the Father wants to hear. That just agreeing publicly but living differently privately is not what the Father wants to see. He wants your yes to be yes. And even if it's a reluctant yes, it's the result that matters. Look at what Jesus... Are you tracking with me so far? So every... Yes, good. Some of you saying yes, you mean no, but that's all right. You will not know the fullness of your call. You will not know the fullness of the resources of God until you know your assignment. And only as you know your assignment and you keep your assignment will you begin to really move and flow in what you are meant for. His power, his presence, his joy, his strength, his love. Look at what Jesus teaches to his disciples in John chapter 14. He says, whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. Now notice something. A lot of times what happens with people is they immediately start thinking of morality, precepts, concepts, all of these things. He doesn't say the commandments here. He says my commandments. So in other words, he's saying that what there's going to happen between you and Jesus is there's going to be an intimacy where he gives you assignments. These are his commandments to you. 
where He gives you tasks, where He gives you things to do. In other words, put in that, that place of commandments, put whoever has my assignments and keeps them. This is very personal. This is very intimate. There is, there is friends, no deep revelation of God until there is intimacy on your part. It has to be personal. It can't just be, oh, I, I deduce from Scripture I should do this. No, it has to be an intimacy with God so that as He is saying things to you, you are receiving them. And then as you are receiving them, you are keeping them. Every believer is constantly being spoken to by the Spirit of Christ with assignments for their lives. And then he says, those who love me don't question the assignments. They keep them. And then he says, even what will happen as they begin to keep the assignments I give them is even more flow starts to happen. Not only do they experience my love, but they experience the Father's love. As you are saying yes to God, you get into the flow of the love of the Father and the love of the Son. And then, as you're flowing in that love, God then reveals even more of Himself to you. What I'm talking about here is, you're not meant to live merely on the basis of your talents, your gifts, your past, your experience, what, your education, or anything else. You were meant to live a supercharged life. Amen. You are meant to live in the supercharged realm. So that it's not about how great you are, but how you're accessing the greatness of the Spirit. But that only happens when you're saying yes. He will not manifest Himself to you in the fog of your disobedience. He will not manifest His love to you in the rebellion of your existence. He won't resource that kind of idolatry. But when you begin to say, this is my assignment from the Spirit, He will supercharge your ability to complete your assignment. Amen. Real warriors aren't looking for relief. They look for ways to complete their assignment. Amen. So when we keep Jesus' commands or we keep His assignments, we are receiving what the Spirit wants us to do. You understand... The big picture only God knows, but He has pieces of the big picture and He says, I want you to do this. Amen. And it always fits together. Look, if Ananias had not done what he did, Saul would still be Saul and not Paul. That one piece changed the world. The surrendered person can fully expect to experience the fullness of the promise that Jesus made to His disciples. I love the one who says yes. And I manifest myself. If there is something short of greatness in you, it's not because the Spirit is not great. It is because you have been unwilling to say yes. Yes to the things. I, I laugh a lot of times that when students come here, I love students, but they do stupid things. Um, <laughs> And they'll come and they'll say to me, I want to work at Risen King. I'm like, great, we love having students here. And they're like, but I have this big calling on my life. I'm like, okay, well, we have a big clog in the toilet. Uh, <laughs> let's see if you can do that with anointing. They're like, no, but I have a big call on my life. I said, well, we have a big clog in the toilet. And they don't like that because that doesn't seem fitting for their call. You see, the assignment 
often is below you. But it will reveal your pride about what's below you. It will reveal your own view of yourself so that your brokenness can be evident. Sometimes God gives an assignment that is for nothing more than to pressure you to say, I can't do this in my own strength. But He also wants to supercharge you with His power. I had this great uh, dinner uh, conversation with Luis Palau. I got to have dinner with him. And uh, I was asking him, how does, how does someone get from Chile all the way to being a worldwide evangelist? He packed stadiums of fifty to 100,000 people all over the world. So how do you get from there, you know, from where you came from to here? He said, well, I, I felt called by God at 16 as a teenager to be an evangelist, but I had no idea what that meant. He said, so Billy Graham came to town, and I went, and I volunteered to work with Billy, Billy Graham. He said, they didn't give me an evangelist job. They told me to set up chairs. He said, I set up chairs with the anointing of the Holy Spirit. He said, Everybody noticed I was anointed in the way I set up the chairs. You see, the assignment was below his calling. The assignment was temporary, but he said yes, and he supercharged, was supercharged with the anointing of the Holy Spirit for the setting up chairs, and they noticed him, and they invested in him, and through the Billy Graham Association, a young man from Chile became a world-famous evangelist. But it started with the assignment. See, when you say no to the assignment, you're saying no to your calling. When you say no to the assignment, you're saying no to the fullness of the Holy Spirit. There is so much more for you. And many of you, the problem is that you, you're saying no with excuses. Oh, that can't possibly be God. God wouldn't possibly ask this of me. Or is this God? I hear people say, you know, I had this sense that I should pray for this person, but I wasn't sure if it was God. Listen, the devil's never going to invite you to pray. Oh, I had this sense I should call this person. Their name came to my head in this kind of random, spontaneous way. Guess what? The devil would not do that. Nor would you. That's God. Don't pray. Well, let me figure out. Guess what? If you make a mistake, you'll learn from the mistake. You only have to make the mistake once and it'll become part of your portfolio of discerning what is God and what is not God. Okay, that wasn't God. But you have to start moving not in insecurity. Or if you say to me, well, I don't really have anything to say. All He needs is your faithful response. He will give you the words. Plus, the results are up to him anyway. It's not how excellently you do it, it's how extraordinary he is in you. All you need to move in is faithfulness. And then guess what? If you can't be corrected, that's your problem anyway. If you're too sensitive to be corrected, then he's revealing where your issue is. Are you hearing me? So a love for the Savior leads to a predisposition to say yes to Him. Now, this is true in relationships. We all know this in some regard. If you love somebody, your first response to them is not no. Your first response, your default response is yes. 
I remember the joy I had when Lisa came home from the hospital. The joy that, that she was, you know, they got all the cancer, that she was going to be okay. But when she came home, she was not strong. She was not independent. And there was nothing but joy to figure out what can I do to serve her? What can I do to make it easier for her? her? What can I, you know, what, what will really, and I, she didn't even have to ask. I was figuring out this would help her. This would be good for her because she wasn't in a place where she can ask. Now it's interesting. We've gone back to our old ways of doing things. Hallelujah. And I'm like, do I really have to get up now, dear? Are you going to make me go get this for you? Kind of a thing. And you could see the difference. I was so thankful that she was alive and she's home. And now I'm like, get it yourself. <laughs> Why aren't you getting that for me, dear? Kind of a thing. You know, It's so funny how we can be so sharply focused when our love is focused. And how self-centered we are when we are not love-focused. Jesus says, I will manifest myself. Clearly, this is very personal. He wants you to know him, but he's not going to reveal himself to the fog you want to live in. A fog of disobedience. He's not going to... See, you might be saying to him, I'll believe it when I see it. He says, you'll see it when you believe it. Only those who really love him and are predisposed to say yes to him will have a full revelation of him. He's not looking to give you a mediocre life. He said, I came that you might have life and you might have abundantly. So every assignment he gives you is a piece of your abundant life. But every time you say yes, you stop him. You say, I don't want that. I want it my way. I want my mission. The mission is me. The assignments reveal the heart. And the biggest assignment of all, friends, is not just that you live a private life and you privately have morality. The biggest assignment of all is you have been placed on this earth to speak for God. But not just your words for God, not just your testimony of Jesus, but that you become a person by saying yes to God, that Jesus begins to make his appeal through you. Instead of it being your words, you begin to have actually the words of Jesus supercharged and flowing in you so that every word you say could be a supercharged word. Because he wants to anoint your words. Jesus himself, friends, did nothing of his own initiative. But you and I do all kinds of things of our own initiative and we wonder why we're in the mess that we're in. The Son of God did nothing of His own initiative. He only did what He saw the Spirit doing because that was what the Father was doing. And He only did what the, He saw the Spirit saying because that's what the Father was saying. If the Son of God had to speak and act in, responsively to the Spirit, how much more so you and I have to speak and act responsively to the Spirit? But the promise is when you yield yourself and you begin to say, I won't operate in my own initiative, but I will speak what the Spirit gives me to say, then those words become supercharged because the same Spirit indwells you that supercharged the words of Jesus. Amen. It's not a lesser Spirit. It's that same Spirit. The issue is Jesus yielded to that Spirit. You don't. You're like, wow, he's mean today. This is truthfully... 
It is as simple as this. We are unyielded people. We want results. We don't want surrender. We want, we want things to be extraordinary, but we won't do the assignments. I mean, think about some of the assignments you've had in your life. If you're a student, that's your assignment. Your assignment isn't to figure out how many girls you can date while you're in school. Your assignment is to be a, a, an anointed student. You know, if you're a worker at your work, your assignment is to work as to the glory of God and to work as if Christ were your boss himself. And yet many of us, we steal from our worker, our, our, our employers, we, we loaf on the clock and we go, well, they don't deserve my full attention. We do the things we do with no anointing and wonder why no one notices us. This is, what, this is what Jesus is saying. If He's assigned you to something, then He will empower you to do that in an extraordinary way, but it means you have to say yes to it. Amen. You're not here just to survive. You are here to thrive. You're here to flourish. But you have to have this kind of intimacy with the Spirit of God, and that intimacy is a promised consequence and result of what Jesus has accomplished on the cross for you and for me. Now the other thing is this. When the Spirit gives you things to speak, He's not going to ex exactly tell you what people want to hear. So you have to, be a, you have to be willing and able to speak the truth, but to speak it in love. Because if you speak the truth without love, then it's just harsh. But if you speak love without truth, it's not really love, it's just sentimentality. So there is a need for all of us to handle well what the Spirit is telling us to say. Now, please understand something. No one knows the gospel. No one can understand the gospel unless you speak it. Your kindness may help them know there is a God, but your words are the only way they can come to God. So we live in a generation that's saying, you know, preach without words. No, there is no preaching without words. That someone is kind is a lovely thing, but it will not lead people to God. The only way they come to God is through Jesus Christ, who is the Word of God incarnate. And the Word of God gives you the words to testify of the truth of who He is, what He has done for people, because without that revelation, they cannot come into right standing with God. Amen. And He has entrusted the ministry of reconciliation to you and me. He could have let anybody speak, but he tends to have people who are intimate with him then get supercharged speech and actions that then lead people into a right relationship with God. This is the call on your life. So every believer then, we're talking about has an assignment. Every believer, not just some believers, but every believer. And the pattern throughout the book of Acts is always that he empowers the believer for the assignment. Amen. The power is released as you say yes to the assignment. Even the inner work of the Holy Spirit is destined for this outer focus. Now, the truth is that you will not fully realize the potential of your identity in Christ or your union with Christ until you have aligned yourself so that the resources and the empowerment of the Holy Spirit is accomplishing your assignment in you. That's, that's how we fulfill the mission of Jesus. But he's always working on both. 
I remember as a young, young pastor, as a young missionary, I still had not settled the issue of my identity. I had not settled the issue of my worth, and I had not really settled the issue of his love for me. That is a dangerous thing to try to work for God, not having those inward graces established. Because what I was doing was I was saying, if I sacrifice more, he'll have to love me. If I do more than everybody else, he'll have to give me the life that I want to have through my prayers because he, it will show that he approves of me and he is pleased with me. So when all hell broke loose in my life, I'm like, you must not love me or you must not be good or all I've done, all the sacrifice doesn't really matter. You see, unless you have this inward establishment that says, what the Holy Spirit is to me, what He says about me, what He's done in my life, is the place from which I operate. So here's what happens. You, by faith, you say, my identity is secure. I'm a child of God. My identity is established. We even said last week, it's prophetically established because the spirit of adoption cries in your heart, then your heart cries back prophetically, I'm a child of God. That's your identity. It wasn't achieved, it's received, and it can't be taken away. But if you are a child of God, it's because you are in Christ. Christ is in you, yes, but you are in Christ. Guess what that means? Because you are in Christ, you are loved as Christ. If you want to know how much you're loved, you're loved just as much as Jesus is loved. Now, you should say in your heart, you're like, how can that be? It can only be by grace. There's no sacrifice you could make that could make any of us love you as much as we love Jesus. But Jesus loves you as if you were Jesus. The Father loves you as if you were Jesus. The Father sees you as righteous as Jesus. Do you know what the Father says over you? He says exactly what He said over the Son at His baptism. Behold my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Guess what, daughter? You're His beloved daughter in whom He is well pleased. And if you say to me, you don't know my secrets, He did know your secrets. You don't know my weaknesses. He does know your weaknesses. He knows you all the way to the bottom and He loves you all the way to the top. So then the obedience that comes is not to get love, but because you are loved. The approval that you long for is already yours so that now your performance can be an expression of your knowledge and understanding of how approved by the Father you already are. Instead of working for approval, you work from approval. See, that's everything. You see, as long as you're a religious person trying to get God's love, you are going to be a failure. As long as you're a religious person that says, God has to approve of me. Look how much money I give. Look how much time I give. Look how I give my talents. Look how I do this and do that. And as long as it's all focused on you, you're going to hell. And actually, you're already there. Because it's all about you. If it's all about you, then you're ultimate and you're your own God and you're your own idol and God will not resource your idol. So at some point, it's got to be that you begin to say, look, it's not about me being perfect. It's not even about me being excellent. It is about me being faithful. Amen. And then what you will see as you are faithful in the little things,
set the chairs with anointing. Clean the bathroom as if Jesus is coming to the bathroom. <laughs> Guess what will happen if you're faithful in the little things? He will make you faithful over much. But you don't get to jump past the assignments. When you detour off the assignments, you know what he does? He takes you right back to the assignment. He doesn't say pass, go, collect $200 or whatever. He says, go back where you left. And then once, it is an amazing thing, once you start doing the assignments, it is awesome how he begins to lift you up. Because even if the assignment is below you, it will always have something for you. And real, are you, are you tracking with me? This is really important stuff that I'm sharing with you. Look, in the whole book of Acts, there were just ordinary people who had extraordinary insight. They had inspiring prophetic speeches. Peter was not exactly the greatest disciple that ever lived. But when he was filled with the Holy Spirit, thousands came to Christ. When he was empowered to speak, Man, the whole world shook because of that. Because the purpose of God is to empower His people for effective service. Look, but it's always about speaking. It is always about speaking. When the Spirit was outpoured on the, the first church, that first group of people, they couldn't stop speaking about what God was doing. They didn't have a program. They didn't have a methodology. They just had to tell people about Jesus. They just kept saying, look what he's done for me. Look, look at the reality. He's raised from the dead. Look at all this. They just kept saying. They couldn't quit speaking because their spirits were seized by the Spirit of Christ. Look, the Holy Spirit birthed the church on Pentecost. But he birthed a speaking, proclaiming church who had the ability to say the good news to every person in every language of every nation. Amen. Look, when you step into the assignment, he will give you the heart language of the people that you're speaking to. It isn't just a program. It's not just learning a methodology. It's learning to hear the Spirit's voice and speaking what he has you to say. And it can be extraordinary, friends. I've had numerous occasions where, where I just I felt confused. I felt, I felt overwhelmed by the situation that I was in. But he said to me really clearly, just be faithful. Just do what you can do. I will do the rest. The first time it ever happened in a powerful way was in Cali, Colombia. And I was, I, I was you know, standing before 300 people who wanted prayer. And I wanted to go, you know, just a fresh touch of the Holy Spirit and, you know, do 300 of them. Just see, because I figured I could do 300 pretty quickly. And I heard the Spirit of the Lord say, no, you must pray over each one of them individually. You must pray till I tell you to stop. Now, my Spanish was poor. My fluency was low. But suddenly, as the Spirit told me to do that, my Spanish became thing of beauty. I was like, wow, this is awesome. I can say things. I don't even know how I can say it or why I can say it or anything else. I understood everything that they were saying. And 
if you don't know, prayer is the hardest in any language. Plus, once they thought I could speak, they spoke faster and faster and faster. <laughs> and, you know, with all their idioms and all those expressions, and I understood every single word that they were saying. Happened again the next year. I went to Peru. I was in Peru and Lima. And we were, we were with these folks who were some of the poorest of the poor, over a million people without government services in one of the roughest barrios of Lima. We went to a bull ring to have a prayer gathering for the night. 12,000 people showed up. When we asked for people that wanted to be healed, 1,000 came forward for healing. And so from about 1 o'clock in the morning till about 8 o'clock in the morning, I prayed without stopping. And I prayed for every single person that came up. And every one of them, again, suddenly I could, hear their, I could hear their heart. I could hear the words. I could say the words. And everyone that I spoke to was healed, delivered, set free, or saved. Whatever it needed to be. I'm just telling you. It, and I can tell you, yeah, praise the Lord. But I was, I was sitting there going, God, why are you making me do this? I can't hear. I can't speak. I'm confused. I hardly know it in English, much less in Spanish. You know, and all of those things, because when I focused on myself, I focused on my failure. When I focused on myself, I focused on my lack. You see, so much of our issue is we're too much focused on us and we're not focused on Jesus. And once I took my eyes off of myself, he could, he could manifest himself to me, speak through me, and the people could understand in their hearts what Jesus was saying to them, but he used me as an instrument to do that. I don't know where he's going to take you, but I know it has to start with you saying yes to whatever he's asking. Your life, even whether you're at the beginning of your career, you're in the middle of it, you're at the end, whatever it is, whatever days you have, have to be dedicated and surrendered now to what assignments the Lord has for you, to saying yes. And he will give you the words and the actions. It's always ordinary people that he uses. Now, if you're overly concerned about your inner life and you're like, well, you know, I don't know enough. I'm not prepared enough. I can't answer. All Guess what? The answer to all these questions is yes. You're not prepared enough. You don't know enough. And you can't answer all their questions. Now, one answer to this is this. God, I like Rob Reamer's. Theology 101, God is smart and he knows things I don't know. So all I have to do is ask. And it's amazing how when you put yourself into position that answers will come out of your mouth that should have been in a systematic theology book. And you'll wonder, wow, how did that happen? I don't even know I knew that. And suddenly it'll come out this brilliant answer. But you know what's even better sometimes? If somebody asks you a question for which you don't know the answer in humility, you go, you know, I don't know the answer to that question. It is amazing how people will be touched by your humility. Yeah. Instead of like giving a bogus, bone, you know, kind of bonehead answer, instead you just go, I don't know. And they go, wow, you're, you are comfortable enough in your own skin that you can say, I don't know something. That will amaze people. In the book of Acts, over all of these references I gave to you, every time the believers got filled with the Spirit, they spoke. They spoke for the Spirit. Filled with the Spirit, spoke for the Spirit. All of those different instances there. So you might 
you might be thinking, and it'd be a good thing to think, well, what about the fruit of the Spirit? That's the inward grace of the Holy Spirit working in your life. But think about this with me. If He's asking you to speak, won't your speech be even more beautiful and more powerful if it's filtered through love, peace, joy, patience, kindness, gentleness, self-control? Won't it be even sweeter for someone to hear that your, your, your inward life is filled with these inward graces so that when you do speak, it's coming through, I love you, I'm patient with you, I have joy in you, whether you respond the way I want you tonight, I will exercise self-control because the Spirit has given me self-control. And all of those things do not make you somebody no one wants to be near. They actually make you a person everybody wants to be near. This is really good stuff for you hearing me. <laughs> the inward work of the Spirit is always for the outer work. These highest gifts, prophecy, speaking in tongues, all these different things that are kind of these extraordinary signs, whether it's words of wisdom, words of knowledge, faith, healing, all of these things are always connected to speaking. Speaking ministry. You don't think an illness away, you speak it away. You don't think the demon's gone. You rebuke them in Jesus' name. They respond to the verbal, not to the, not to the cognitive power of your brain. The higher gifts are always speaking gifts in the Scriptures. So, I'm asking really something pretty... It's pretty, it's pretty unique and special in a way. I'm asking one that you yourself would start to say, I have an assignment. And that you would begin to hear from God, you would do what Jesus said, and that because you love Jesus, your default setting will be yes. This is very personal for you. It's a personal decision. But it was never meant for you to be alone in this. The, the truth is, the New Testament church is more a community of prophets than it is some kind of fraternal do-gooder organization. We are supposed to be a group of people who know how to live together in a supercharged community. This community began with the prophet. He's not a prophet. He's the prophet, final word of God, the Lord Jesus Christ. But he had this charisma about him. He had this anointing, this spirit about him that people were drawn to him. He was the invited guest to the sinner's houses. The, the religious people were angry with him, said he ate and drank with sinners. He was a friend of sinners. It wasn't because he was just chasing them, it was because they were chasing him. All walks of life were drawn to him. Then, as he gave the Holy Spirit, his spirit, to the first century church, they became a prophetic community as well. They began to draw people from all walks of life. They began to get scattered all over the world. Instead of a drop-off in anointing, you see a multiplied harvest because every believer was living as if they were Christ instead of living as if Christ had left them. The commission of Jesus, the mission of Jesus, the, 
the, the need that we have today is not less than it was in the first century. If anything, it might be more. We need to be not just a well-organized group or a group with good programs, though I like programs and I like organization, we need to be a community that is prophetic in nature. We, and I, what I mean by this is we need to be a group of people who hears from God, speaks for God, sees what God's doing, and then does what God's doing. We cannot simply be those who are well-organized. We have to be those who are well intimate with the Spirit of Christ. Now, are you tracking with me on this? That means that every believer has to experience multiple infillings of the Holy Spirit. Paul doesn't teach that you have this one and done kind of thing. He teaches that that there is a need to be continually allowing yourself and asking for a fresh filling of the Holy Spirit. Here is what I have learned, though, is most of us do not ask until we've been in crisis. I would rather that your motive be inspiration, but for the most part, people's motive is desperation. So the Spirit brings you to the end of yourself. He puts you into positions where either your relationships are failing, your job is failing, your health is failing, or your, your money is failing, and He's showing you how utterly limited you are when you do things in your own power. But then He also has all along been giving you a glimpse of what you could be, of what you will be even in your future. And as he does that, you come to this crisis of faith where you decide, will I live by what I see or will I live by what I believe? If you live by what you see, you will never see it. If you say to God, I'll believe it when I see it, you'll never see it. But if you live by what you believe, you will see it. Because belief will activate in a way what the Holy Spirit can do and he does through your faith. I mean, the Bible's really clear. It says without faith it is impossible to please God. You must believe that he is and that he is the rewarder of those who diligently seek him. This power of the Holy Spirit is available in every generation. Do you, know, do you understand? You might be the weakest person. You might be the biggest screw-up in this room. It's not about you. The same Spirit that anointed Jesus for his miraculous supercharged life has been poured out on you. He indwells you. The question is, will you surrender to him or will you keep resisting him? Now, I love theology and I love the terminology of things. And I think we get all wrapped up in things like baptism of the Holy Spirit, filling of the Holy Spirit. And there are semantic things that people get all tied up in. Look, anybody who comes to faith in Jesus gets baptized into the church of Jesus Christ by the Holy Spirit. He, he, he takes us from being orphans and orphan spirits and he makes us children of God and he baptizes us into the family of God. He does that. But that doesn't mean that you live in his power because he is asking Will you yield to His power? Will you surrender to His presence? Will you, instead of just having Him indwell you, will you be baptized with Him? 
Will you let Him seize your soul? Will you let His love and His power and His presence be the thing that is ultimate to you? If you decide that, then that's what filling looks like. It's a filling of love. It's a filling of power. It's a filling of His presence. It's a filling of joy. It's a filling like nothing else. And it's yours to have. He's done this in every generation. He's taken ordinary people. One of my favorite things is to, to think about this whole empowerment assignment pattern. There was a man in England by the name of John Bunyan, and he was a tinkerer. He was a tradesman. He went from town to town. He, he met Christ, had a powerful conversion, but he continued in his trade, and he just felt like something was missing. As he was traveling to a a village to apply his trade, he has this amazing encounter with the Holy Spirit. The Spirit speaks to him, and subsequent to Bunyan's conversion, he has an encounter with the Holy Spirit that changed his life forever. He began to preach. He was not a learned man, but he began to preach, and 15,000, 20,000, sometimes up to 30,000 people would come out to hear him preach. He was so powerful in his preaching. This was an ordinary man, a tradesman, who just got an encounter with the Holy Spirit subsequent to his conversion that changed him forever. He was so dangerous to the Church of England because he didn't have a license to preach that they put him in jail. And while he was in jail, he writes The Pilgrim's Progress, which becomes one of the most famous English spiritual books of all time. Here's a guy who doesn't have the credentials, doesn't have the past, doesn't have the experience. It's the encounter with the Holy Spirit filling him that made him a man of powerful influence even to our day. I think there's a movie coming out again of the Pilgrim's Progress. John Wesley, the founder of Methodism, his whole life was changed by a, a, a personal, intimate encounter with the Holy Spirit. Finney, Charles Finney was the, one of the greatest American evangelists of all time. Over a million people came to Christ through Finney's ministry in New York and Pennsylvania. Numerous revivals have sprung up just from his writings. But you know what? He was a lawyer who hated Christianity. He thought pastors were all idiots and he could outthink them and outsmart them. But he got scared for his soul. He got scared for eternity. And he himself hid in his closet and sought the Lord and was radically converted. But then he said, but then I was baptized by the Holy Spirit. And here's what he called it. It's my favorite description. He said it was wave upon wave of liquid love. Whoa. He said it was so much I had to say, please stop or I'm going to die. Some of you have heard of D.L. Moody. This is another one of my favorites. D.L. Moody was a, a shoe salesman who got converted. And so he, he, he had an evangelistic gift. I don't know if it was to sell shoes or the Lord, but he had an evangelistic gift. And so he started doing evangelism and, and he was getting some results. But these two little old ladies came up to him and said, Mr. Moody, we have been praying for you because you lack the power of the Holy Spirit. Moody goes, I was highly offended by those ladies. I thought I had plenty of the power of the Holy Spirit. And I, he said, once my offense went away, I realized they were right. I was doing it in my own power. He said, he said it didn't happen instantaneously. He said, six months later, I was on Wall Street in New York City getting ready to do 
uh, ministry and the Spirit of God came over him on Wall Street. He says, I hardly talk about it because I don't even have words to describe the feelings that I experienced. He said again, the love of God began to flow in me in such a way that I had to say, stay your hand, Lord, I can't handle anymore. And yet I want it more because it was so precious and it was so radiant and it was so glorious. Well, I don't know if you know, but Moody started a college. He started a church that still exists today. And, and he was able to reach college students at Oxford and Cambridge and just incredible ministry. This unlearned in many ways, kind of shoe salesman of a preacher suddenly became a spirit-filled, spirit-equipped, baptized in the Holy Spirit, man of God. I'm asking you today, aren't you ready for more? It's an encounter with him. It's a yes to him. It can be dramatic. No one can tell you what your encounter will be, and it doesn't have to be like anybody else's. But it has to be an encounter. You were meant to be filled with the Holy Spirit. You were meant to live in a supercharged realm of the Spirit. The only one keeping you from that is you. Will you stand with me? I want to ask you to do three things in response. The first is this. There is always more than the omnipresence of God. There is no place that God is not present. But see, God is present with the Hindus and the Muslims and the irreligious. He's present, but it is His promise to the believer. If two or more of you gather in my name, there I am in the midst of you. So this is a sense of His presence that's not His everywhere presence. It's the special intimate sense of His presence that only a child of God gets to have. And it's only accessed in the name of Jesus. But the, here's the issue. I see tons of Christians who go through their whole life and never live in his presence. You understand, he wants to invade your, your home. He wants to invade your work. He wants to invade your family. Not, he's already there in his omnipresence. But what we're talking about is the manifestation of his presence to you, a child of God. And in order for you to experience that, one, you have to believe that you can experience that. But the other thing is you have to begin to intentionally say, I want to experience that. The second thing is God is always speaking, friends. He's always at work. He's always moving in your life. But you have to begin to get the tuning into the receiver for what he's doing. Just as right now, there are radio signals. Some of you have had all kind of texts while this whole service has been going on because there's signals going all over this room at all times. But you have to have a receiver to receive them. God is speaking, but you have to tune in and you have to receive what he's saying and you have to believe that you were meant to receive it. You don't keep going, God, I'll believe it when I see it. No, you say, God, I will see it because I believe it. And then the last one is this. That belief has to be a, a, a heart commitment on your part. In, in Hebrews chapter 12, it says, fix your eyes on Jesus. And in Psalms, it says, you can only enter into his gates with thanksgiving and praise. Some of you have tried to enter his gates with complaining and grumbling and worry. Let me tell you, that's the language of hell. The language of hell is always getting you focused on what you do not have so that you will always sense lack. 
and the language of heaven gets you to take from the future blessings that you already have and bring them into the present with thanksgiving and praise. You know, you will never solve any of your problems by complaining about them. You'll only solve your problems as you believe and hear and His manifest presence begins to reveal to you how to empower you for the assignment that the problem is probably connected to. So here's what I'm going to ask of you. Would you pray these three things with me now? Can we do it as a church? It's you individually, but it's us as a church saying, we want to be this kind of community of people who speaks for God and who acts for God. I, this is so big to me. Would you, would you take just a minute? Would, do you mind touching the person next to you for a moment? You see, you're, you're here with other people. It's not you alone. God didn't call you to do this on your own. You're not Elijah. You're not Isaiah. You're you. And you are enough for this season if you will yield yourself to the Holy Spirit. You understand, you're touching that person. I believe you can believe for them that God wants to use them. That God wants to speak through them. You can believe it for them, right? Yeah, you probably don't even have much trouble with that. But now I'm asking you, will you believe it for you? I love that song we sing that, you know, we're never alone. But I like the line even better in that song about the fire, someone in the fire with us. I like the line where it says, nothing separates me from you or you from me. Do you understand? You're not going through a church, a pastor, a priest, except the great high priest, the Lord Jesus Christ. And he has sent his spirit, the same spirit that anointed him, he, spent, he has sent into your life. He wants to speak through you. Words that have inspired importance. He wants to give you things to do that can change your world. Jesus made you for greatness. So would you say this with me? These three things together. I receive, I receive your manifest presence in my life. Your Not just your omnipresence, Not just your omnipresence. but your manifest presence. You are speaking to me. You are giving assignments to me. I tune in. I receive these signals. I believe. Even if I don't see it, I still believe. I will fix my eyes on Jesus and I will enter the courts with thanksgiving and praise. Now, as you say those things, it's very possible that your first assignment is being given to you. The first assignment is to get rid of doubt. See, as soon as you say, I'm going to tune in to the manifest presence, something will come and say, no, other people will, but you won't. So the first assignment is to clear your own mind. If there's doubt there, if there's fear there, if there's worry there, you can't enter the courts if you keep holding on to doubt, fear, worry, anger, and depression. So the first 
assignment of the Holy Spirit usually comes up, not by you saying, I'm not going to doubt, I'm not going to fear, but rather by saying, why, when I want to go deep with God, does doubt come up? Why, when I want to go deep with God, do I get anxious? And say, Holy Spirit, then the assignment is that I would overcome because that which is born of God must overcome the world. Your mind, friend, should be the safest place on earth. No demon has a right to your mind. No lie has a right to your mind. You are united to Christ, and the Bible says you now have the mind of Christ. Think about when it says he's not given you a spirit of fear, but of power and love and what? So your default setting is a sound mind. So anything that's there that's tripping you up, confusing you, that's your assignment. Come against it in the strong name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Let him heal the damaged places. You can trust him. If you're struggling to trust him, then ask him to heal what is broken in your trust mechanism. He's a great healer. He doesn't fix you because you're not a machine. He heals you because you're a person. I'm telling you, this is your day to step into the supercharged realm of the assignments of the Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. God bless you.